was easy. Are you going to do it? Yes. Go for it. Hello. That was easy. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Oh, you know, same thing you're doing. What else do we do? We sit in a car. We have these big black microphones in our face, and people give us weird, funny looks. Yep. Yeah. You should have well, seen it. One time we pulled up next to this car full of four blue-haired ladies. They were probably, the youngest was like 75, would be my best guess. And they, yeah. they like, make the sign to roll down the windows, like the hand signal. And we rolled down the windows, and they're like, what are you guys doing? Are you guys singers? I'm like, well, that would be weird. We'd be singing in a van. But yeah, we said, yeah. Um, and then they're like, we're going line dancing. And Francis is like, don't break a hip. <laughs> <laughs> He's being generous that they were like youngest was seventy five. They might have broken ninety in a couple of instances, and we might have misheard them. They might have said, "Are you guys swingers, not singers?" We might have misheard them. They maybe. had an accent. Yeah, maybe. Oh, wow, that's a crazy twist. Plot, plot I'm twist. I'm telling thickens. you, it was it was a little awkward. And then they tailed us for a while, probably trying to get our license plate or see if we were turning somewhere yep. to follow us, but. They invited us to yeah. the club. They did. They go, you know where this place is? And I forget what they said. And I'm like, we, yeah, I know exactly where that is. And then, this, cool, we'll see you there. And then we was, just kept going. This was in Jackson, Tennessee, like last time <laughs> we were in town for the Gap Grind. So uh, so, so, how the heck are you? I'm doing good. Uh, if you hear a ton of road noise, it's because I just got back into Oklahoma. Oh, boy. And, you know, people who've driven through Oklahoma know what the roads are like. So. Yeah. You sound really good, actually. You, yeah, you I have, think it sounds good. This is one of the best connections we've had. <laughs> oh, perfect. I mean, if you heard the connection with Morgan, you, you'd understand. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we were all we were all in Squad One, and we got to see everything go down. Um, that was uh, congratulations again, uh, world champion and PRS twenty twenty two season champion. Uh, Golden congratulations, bullet Golden winner. Bullet. There's only Thank been ten you. of those, man, and that's so impressive. I got to hold it last night and brought a tear to my eye. I had to walk away. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> so, um, so how did it go for you? I mean, we know you you took it, but I mean, you said it wasn't super easy. I'm sure it wasn't. Any any, any key points uh, you want to start off with? Because I got a couple questions that will lead too. us somewhere. I guess when when mostly when I say it wasn't super easy, it wasn't particularly talking about the match itself, but just the. Just winning the series, oh, yeah. but the match itself was certainly not super easy. It was hard, hard, hard match. Um, hard to, oh, I guess it's a high percentage hit match, but the hard part is just not dropping shots at all. Yep. And um, I, I didn't feel like uh, I shot particularly good, really, and I know. A lot of people at the finale, even in Squad One, probably feel like I, I, I'm sure that most people feel like that uh, this morning that we're in Squad One and Squad Two. And I've observed that every year at the finale. It's like if that was a regular two day match, I think I would have shot better. Um, something about being in Squad One gets in people's heads and you start seeing how other top guys shot the stage and then you start overthinking it. And I think I dropped shots this weekend for that same reason. And after the stage, I was thinking, you know, why did I do that? Why did I rush so fast? I had plenty of time and it just, you know, it, it gets in my head watching other shooters shoot fast. And it's because you don't, really you don't have dropped... a crush it timer on your rifle. Yeah, I know. I don't. <laughs> I'm 
too simplistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was, that's one of the things I want to work on on the off season is uh, time management. I need yeah. to get a timer somehow. This was a big Man, thing. I don't know I mean, I'll send you a timers. timer. We'll have to come up with something unique <laughs> for you, though. Because, um, yeah, if people yeah. don't know, um, you don't have very good vision out of your right eye. So that's even more yeah. impressive that, that you're able to pull this off. I mean, you're not, I've never seen you hunt for targets. Um, you know, you just lay the rifle down and go to town. So you said you, you maybe let yourself get influenced by other shooters that in our squad. Can you give us a specific example of that? Uh, one, one I can think of that I really wanted to do over on was the 12 round stage where we went from the stair steps to the tank trap and then yeah. back, uh, for, me too, by the way. And so I watched maybe the first two or three guys in our squad shoot it, and like probably two of them timed out, and they looked to me like they were moving very fast. And so in my head, I'm thinking, wow, these guys, these guys are shoot fast. These are the best, and they're timing out. So it gets in my head, and I'm thinking, I've got to, I've got to rush this. And I was telling myself that I can do this and get stable enough in time to break good shots, but I was also telling myself to go faster than I normally would. Mm-hmm. And so I, I finished, I dropped two shots on that and finished with 10 seconds left. And, and both shots that I dropped were, I just, I just squeezed them off too fast. And yeah. at, at the end of it, I was thinking, you know, what, what a horrible way to drop two shots. I had 10 seconds left. That's tons of time to to make those nice, clean shots. I knew that perfect wind to hold. I knew everything what to do, but I made that simple mistake of just, you know, overthinking how fast I should run it. If I just ran it at my normal pace, I think I still would have finished in time. Well, Gadarzi ran after you, and you should have watched him uh, before you shot. Otherwise, you know, you probably would have ran it differently because he ran it so dang smooth, and he had 15 seconds left. I, I was like, oh, my gosh. And he's the, he's the first one to say, oh, I'm not a fast shooter. Well, I call BS on that. I mean, he's just a fluidly smooth shooter. I don't think there was anyone in our, sh- our squad that shot that smooth um besides yourself i I mean i i spent a lot of time watching everybody in squad one when i had the chance just to kind of see what people's personal styles are and how they move and how they build positions and it's easy to see how you know the people in that squad got to where they are because most of them are very efficient with movements and they're really good you know at pressing the trigger and um you know they're keeping things simple so i just i had never shot with Darcy and I was super impressed. Yeah, I, I'm jealous of how calm he stays, and I think that's a key. Huge. While he's he walks slowly from position to position, just kind of trots over there instead of running like the rest of us. But <laughs> so much of our game is a thinking game, and I can see where, you know, I'm rushing to get into position, and then I sit there and think. Mm-hmm. Where he he's already you know got figured out what he's going to do and gets in the perfect position. And he probably is breaking shots off faster than I am while I'm rushing. Yeah, you the know, exact opposite end of the the exact opposite end of the spectrum is probably Morgan King. Um, yeah, he is. He's like on edge the whole time, and he's doing it probably similar to why you're describing is that you want to hurry up and get there so you have yeah. more time. But I think there is a happy medium when you look at somebody like Gadarzi or uh, Sanoski. Like they pretty much leisurely walk to the position. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's like they yeah, dropped their like, rifle what he, down. What is he doing? Why? Yeah, why? Yeah. And he almost looks like depressed or angry. And no, like I think it's keeping a calm state of mind. I, we talked about it in a recent episode where shooting with a lack of emotion isn't just like shooting with a lack of frustration. It's also shooting with a lack of excitement and just literally keeping your mind and your heart rate and your body at a tempo that is relaxed so that you can you can just execute, you know, and I think it goes both ways. Yeah, I think the way you said it with Gadarzi, his almost like slow canter from position to position, he's taking that extra, let's say, one second while he's walking. It might take him one to one and a half, two seconds of actual movement time. But while since it's since it's simple, I mean, simple things, right? You're managing your bag, pick up your rifle. That once you've touched both of those and you have adequate hands on them, he now has two full seconds to think okay, this wind did that. I think I need to move this. I need to dial here, and I didn't like the way that held. Place my bag there. Boom, the bag goes down, and now he's fully into build NPA, get a perfect shot, and then just execute and follow through. And I, and to your point, I have never seen anyone who... So Chad pointed out a while back that I there was a video of me shooting, and I didn't blink for like three or four consecutive shots, and then I would blink between either like transitions or transitions. Yeah. Gadarzi went in the Connex box. I just happened to be at the right angle. From the time his bag touched the first position, he didn't blink for four consecutive shots. I didn't actually physically see him blink through the entire stage. So I'm pretty sure if he did, it happened only when he was walking. And he never blinked. Not once. There was no no muscle twitches, no nothing. It was almost it was almost scary. Like it was statuesquely <laughs> it was relaxed of just he doesn't have eyelids. She's <laughs> not human. No. Yeah. It was cool. Um, but it, it is, I think, you know, the reason we brought this up, we were talking, I'm like, man, we got to ask Bushman, you know, who were you watching? What did you see? Um, and I was curious, like, you got to watch most of the people in the squad. And you don't have to name names. If you, I, We would almost prefer you don't, other than Chatter Eye, you're welcome to say, hey, I saw you do this. Is there anything that you've learned? So you'd mentioned what you people you wish you hadn't done. Is there anything you've learned that you wish people had done or you had shown people what to do? Like, you learned something from them. I'm going to keep doing that. Not even just in this match, but, like, I think you see where I'm going with this. Things you pick up from other pro-level shooters. Uh, boy, it'd be hard to come up with a lot of stuff from this match because we're in squad one, and you got to get really nitpicky to start pointing out things that guys are doing wrong in squad one. Yeah, uh, or right, or right for that matter, because I think equally good Darcy is a good example we saw him moving really slow and it's something we want to try like i know i do chad probably will mm-hmm. um you said you do so right or wrong i'm okay with either um i'm trying to think of something that would fit uh, your question an example i so one of the uh one of the things that i always tell new guys at the sport when they ask me for advice on something i I tell them the main thing in this sport is if you hit to the left, aim right. And if you hit to the right, aim more to the left. <laughs> and it's just kind of a joke, but it's also like the truest thing in the sport, right? Yeah. But, uh, and even even in squad one, you do see guys that uh, I don't know if there are just because of the, the stages, they're rushing and not watching their shots, which is probably the case. But I saw a lot of people still riding one edge of a plate on a on a stage until they finally missed and then make a correction and that's uh 
you know, and, and maybe I do that sometimes. You can't always tell where they're hitting on the plate. So if you hit the plate and can't really tell, then you're not going to make a change to your hold. So that can happen to anybody. But, I, I mean, I did notice that I, that I saw multiple times in squad one where guys were hitting the edge of a plate and just kept hitting the edge of a plate. And sometimes it cost him a shot. I know Morgan said he has he has done that a lot in the past instead of centering up because he usually, in his mind, like wants to favor upwind. And that way, if there's any variation in the stage or during the stage, that it gives him more of the plate to work. Um, that could be a third option other than, you know, like you said, people aren't watching or they're not seeing or they're not taking the time. So there might be a little bit of strategy to that, but it's definitely not yeah. safe to do it multiple times. And the only other thing I can comment on that is when the targets get smaller, you need to make smaller corrections because your cone of, your, your rifle is not a laser beam. It has a cone of fire, and you can get yourself into a lot of misses, 1Z, 2Z misses, if you make full corrections on small plates just because you've experienced it probably where you maybe hit high left on a plate and then you make a correction low right and it goes off the low right of the plate you know that can happen you 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 have a cone of fire so um i feel like there was a lot of targets in that 1.1 1.2 range and you need to be very careful if you're on the right third of that plate making a correction a full tenth correction you know right yeah and and i and i did it too um and sometimes what it is for me is on some of the like on the long, like uh, stage 19, the long square stage, I was only about 80% sure that I was hitting the left edge. Yeah. So I don't want to make, you know, I'd make a very tiny correction and watch the next shot just in case I, I that 20% chance that I misinterpreted the first shot. You, you misinterpreted know? it maybe, yeah. or it was on the left side of your, your cone of fire. I mean, those two things are the same thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So did you make any mistakes personally over the weekend? I made one mental mistake uh, that that really hurt. Uh, I, it was a 12-round stage, and so one of the things that I do is I, I have 12-round mags, but I always load 11 rounds, and I always look at the, the course of fire for the next stage. And if it's 12, if it happens to be a 12-round stage, then I make a particular note to load 12 for that one. I don't like loading 12 every time because of how tight they get in my bag. Yeah. I don't so, like stripping that first round either out of a 12 round. When we were going to the concrete pipes from the PRS barricade stage, I looked at it, saw it was 12 rounds. I told myself, okay, I'm going to, usually I, I unload all my rounds and count 12 and then load them back in the mag. Yep. And I told myself I was going to do that. And somehow I got distracted and the next thing I know, I, you know, I'm at the end of the stage and having to load one from my match saver round on the side of my rifle, and I, I timed out trying to get that shot off. So would you? Oh man, would uh, you have? I saw that happen, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is not happening. And I felt, you know, my, my heart sank a little bit. Did would that have based on the tiebreaker? Would that have made? Would that have allowed you to win the match too, or would you still have? Would Caruso yes, still have that would have allowed me to that would have allowed me to Oof. win the match. I had Caruso on the tiebreaker by three seconds. I think there's a famous quote out there somewhere by Ben Gossett that he said afterwards. <laughs> he said, "Man, if I did that, I wouldn't sleep tonight." 
I love it. I love that. I'm only jabbing you because, like, I I felt so. I felt, I felt for you, (laughs) and I know you can take this jab. So. Oh yeah, and I say stuff to Ben all the time, just equally, equally as mean. So no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And that's actually the kind of banter that I we need it that I love to have at a match. We need to remember that so that we never do it again. And those type of interactions are. You know, if you got you know thick skin, which we all should and do at this point, like those are, those are friend, those are friends that are stabbing you in the front, not in the back, and they're doing you a favor. So, <laughs> yeah, and I mean to anybody else listening, like this is how tight it is at this level all season. You have three matches; those three scores are likely separated by one or two shots per match. That mean the difference between where we were, we were at two ninety four, two ninety five, and quite literally three shots throughout the course of the season and we're at 299 to 300 where we don't have to worry about you know winning by four we only have to just win the match and then come into the finale match and not only are you shooting against the best they're all around you you're seeing what they're doing you're there it's not like a standard match where half the people are shooting 60 70 80 percent of a course or a stage and then you're the one that cleans it Everybody is clean. The the cleans are the rule, not the, the exception. Exactly, and it is a totally different ball game when you get when you know, uh, I'm down one, I'm up one, I'm down one, I'm up one, and you're playing just tit for tat chess. You see someone go like, oh, he's going to be first on this hard stage with a low rock. Is he going to like remember that? Uh, what was that? It was first day. We had those that one rock position. We had to shoot a big, not a big small, or something like that. It was a big small. It was a low like single position like troop line and you had to put a bag and I noticed everybody's like hey put your bag to the right of this blue tape that was the only rule oh yeah yeah and when I started watching people shoot that my thought was wow guys are really going over the top with these bags like they're putting a bag up front and then they're putting one underneath their rear and that looks really uncomfortable the way that they're kind of in the rifles from that position with a unsupported front bag just to keep soft on hard and then a rear bag that's not quite in an ideal position and it seemed like everybody was working real hard on that and then i watched Gadarzi go up and my thought was i can't afford to do that because one i didn't have a second bag i didn't want to borrow new gear but i also thought man i think the right side i can just kind of use that lot rock use to it brace like a normal my yeah use it like a normal <laughs> kneeling shot and lo and behold Gadarzi had the same idea i did and he did it and i'm like yeah if he can do it i know i can do it and that was one of the most solid positions i have built all weekend um and i cleaned did that stage did you watch me shoot that stage? I did. Yeah, you almost timed out. It was yeah. almost a train wreck. I it almost timed almost out, too. Train wreck. Yeah. Uh, and that I, was, thought, I thought it was going to be fine for me because I'm right-handed, but your bolt was, like, touching the left rock every time you closed it for the first couple rounds. And I was I, like, oh, no, I please, know. figure this out. Like, do something horrible. different. <laughs> yeah, and that's it a, was horrible. to your point, that was exactly what you said. You know, you watch shooters at this level, and you think, man, if there's a reason they're doing it that way. And you, you almost fool yourself into thinking they found something that's smarter than what you... You haven't seen the trick that they've seen, which is why they're doing it the way they have. But if you sit back, you might actually just realize they just haven't seen the other move. Like in chess, right? You know, you see a bunch of moves. You think that they've seen some trap, so that's why they're moving this pawn. But in fact, they didn't. They just made a mistake. And you think that you're overthinking the situation, like you like you described. And... Uh, to me, that was one example of a really easy to overcomplicate stage mm-hmm. that could cause failure, and it happened to a few people. Um, whereas the easy up, and the same thing on the other rocks, the sand rocks on day two, that super super low one. You know, I watched Morgan almost get 
totally hosed because he couldn't quite get his bipod and rear bag where he needed to. It wasn't set up properly, whereas all the other guys with bipods and bags seem to really have to get a lot of rear bag underneath their the rear because of the shape of that rock. And if you didn't, it was, no, I'm guessing not a lot of people shot off it in practice to know exactly where to place bipods to get the angle up so high. But it wasn't any more comfortable than going on a bag. It just took a lot more time and potentially a lot more risk if it went sideways. So, yeah, I um, I don't know. This It's a really interesting game, but the whole point of this was one shot can matter more than you can ever imagine. Not just at the elite level, but also in your learning process going from a new shooter upward. It might be that one or two shots a stage that you think, I'm not a good shooter because of blank, when really it's just... That one detail, right? Make sure your safety is all the way forward <laughs> to, to not drop three shots on a pipe stage. Yeah. Well, so I was thinking about your original question was like, was there any, uh, you know, shots or mental mistakes? And I was thinking about all my shots that I missed. I missed 15 for the match. I missed one because of that mental error by not loading around in my mag and timing out. I missed one other shot from timing out in the bus. I missed two shots from uh, breaking on movers at, at bad timing. I missed two shots for elevation errors where my windage call was perfect, but I sailed over the top of the target. I think I missed four shots because of rushing positional on small targets when I should have taken a little bit more time. And the rest of the shots I missed were just bad uh, wind holds. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have to leave the plate with a wind hold? What was your biggest biggest hold? Biggest hold was the, was for stage one. Me too. Or the, not stage one, stage... Uh, the TYL ten. rack that we shot to start, stage I ten. held six-tenths. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I held six-tenths, and that was way off the target on those little those tiny little targets. things, yeah. Yeah, that um, was my boldest, my boldest hold as well. Same. Yeah, I learned something from you actually, Austin. Um, I was on the Connex that we shot in those cars. I had the fortunate time to watch about five shooters prior to you, and I was listening to the just happened to be listening to the cadence of every single shot. And for the most part, all the shooters prior to you were more or less like a about a one and a half to two seconds between shots on a given position. Right, bang 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 it was pretty easy to to time and, and under, expect a shot it's predictable very predictable with you though <laughs> your first position it took you a little on the first shot i'm like that's interesting okay he's probably gonna rattle this one off quick and then you didn't and then you sent it then you went to the next position and that was a small head or it was a big head followed by two small heads and then a big head if i remember something yep. similar to that then it reversed on the far target or the far car and your shot cadence on the small targets, the time you took on every round was proportional to the size of the target. And I thought, I'm like, man, this is like genius 101 that's it's, so nuanced. It's obvious, right? But it's super it obvious be. when you watch it because, it's yeah, it's a small target. You took, it looked like one to two breath cycles. Um, on a normal, it's like one breath cycle. But there were about a two-second differential to maybe three seconds on the small targets to break a shot versus the large. And I'm like... This I can tell you, I can almost see through my binos that you're refining the small target hold and shot placement more than you were on the large. Even though I'm sure you were doing it, you felt more confident, you have more leeway. Did you notice that when you were shooting that stage, or was that just sort of the byproduct of a smaller target? I, I 
I do that. I don't normally think about that anymore. It just kind of happens, I guess. But I'll tell you about half of that extra time when I'm going to a small target, about half the time that of that extra time is not me refining my aim. It's me looking at the last target I shot. And because I, because I know it's more critical for me to correct my wind hold going to the smaller target. So I'll look at the last target I shot for just a second and try to see if I can see where the, where the bullet hit on the target. And, and I'll just take a second to think about it, okay? And I'll think on that last shot, did I hit just a hair to the right? Because if I hit a tenth to the right and I go to that small target on the far car, it's going to be a miss. Yeah, and exactly. So I, all I'm doing is trying to determine what the perfect hold is. I don't think it actually takes me that much more time to make the, the hold and squeeze off the shot. I'm just thinking about it. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, because your time to build the position isn't any more or less than the last one. I mean, you're just trying to make sure that you got the perfect plan for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's harder to resolve where you were on the small target than it was on the big one. So it's it, yeah. it, it was just interesting to watch because I noticed it with you specifically. I'm sure there were some others that had a similar, you know, a similar change. It just wasn't as obvious as yours, but yours was almost like... They were clones of you. If you were shooting the large target, your splits were about one second, one and a half seconds. They were, I mean, pretty, relatively speaking, fast, but normal amount of fast. The slow ones, it was double, double to triple that. And it was so obvious to me. I'm like, this is smart because those were, those are not wobble free. And anybody who's thinking I've shot out of Connexes before, meaning if you're thinking, hey, I've shot out of Connexes, they're pretty stable. You know, these are not your, their average Connex. They have a really good surface. But when they go bang, um, I don't know about you, but man, I had a lot of reverberation through my scope post-shot as a result of like the concussion coming back on the metal. And I was braced all the way into one corner where the upright meets the two pieces. So it's as solid as it can be. And I still noticed there's a lot of reverberation that you have to fight through to then get the feedback from the target. Yep. I remember thinking that there's more more wobble on this than I thought there was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess it said the same thing. and. Yeah, I, I experienced it. It wasn't terrible, but, um, yeah, it was noticeably... It, it wasn't able to get it to zero <laughs> like I normally am. Yeah. How did you deal with the weather on day on morning of day one? Was that Were you fine with that? I didn't do well with that. I need a better plan for rain. I don't shoot in rain very often. I, about once a year, I shoot in rain, and then I forget about all the things that I did... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared for. And yeah. The next year, I make the same mistakes. One, the, and that that actually did cost me some shots. Uh, first thing in the morning. The the main thing I struggled with was keeping my scope lenses clear of water. Uh, we had our, I couldn't close the scope caps because then it would just completely fog up. So I had to leave them open. And our my objective lens, you know, all of our guns were sitting in the line up at the front of the concrete. And the water was just kind of spraying in. I don't know if it was splashing off the concrete or if it was just a fine mist. And it was, you know, every time I went to the next stage, I, I had to try and get the water off of my objective lens. And everything in my bag was soaked after about two stages. So you didn't have so, your rifle covered? No, I, I did. I, I did for about the first two stages with my, I had a plastic cover. And I kind of scrapped it because I didn't like how it was working out either. And yeah. I was able to fight through it. I think that cost me 
one shot on the second stage with the animal mover target. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason it cost me a shot is because I could not, I missed a target for a bad wind hole, but I could not tell where mm-hmm. because, because my, my scope was so fogged up. And so then I missed another shot because I didn't know what correction to make. And I, and I guessed wrong. And then I got lucky and hit the rest of them. But, you know, I felt like afterwards, man, if I could have seen that first shot a little better then I think I would have hit, you know, the follow up. Yeah, that's tough. So you're, um, you're telling me you did not have a rifle cover. I don't know what you mean about a plastic cover. You, so you had a garbage bag over your I rifle. Had, I, it was a, it was a, a poncho. Okay, this is unacceptable. Brick and I, <laughs> you need to change this scenario. <laughs> well, uh, Caruso, Matt Caruso showed me uh, this little p- air puffer thing that just blows it works the good. Yes, water it works good. Yep. off of your lens. I've got. I'm going to get one of those because yeah. that that did work pretty pretty smart and it's way better than trying to wipe something on your lens that just smears all the water around right before you shoot oh yeah that thinned film is like the film of death it does not go away so yeah the little air puffers are great you get them up close to your lens and just and it just beads down so long as you uh yeah you know do your part and get close enough don't touch it if you smear it you you aren't getting it off like you can keep doing that it takes 10 times the amount of effort to get it off if you wipe it um But if that's your last resort, that's way better than just leaving a bunch of splotchy water droplets to make a kaleidoscope in your optic. So, Well, I didn't have yeah, any of those honest, problems for the rain on my scope because I covered my rifle. Likewise. Well, so, that seems so simple. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? How was it for cold? And this is something I learned, and I'm curious of your feel. So in Oklahoma, it gets pretty darn cold in the winter, right? So you guys yeah. shoot in the... Okay. I forgot that even though it said 55, 60 something, that 55 to 60 in rain feels more like 30 <laughs> than it does. You know, oh, damp, a damp 60 feels like a really warm 30, <laughs> relatively speaking. And I was cold. I was really cold um, because I just, you get damp and it starts wicking heat out of you faster than you can put it in, no matter oh, yeah, what you do. And it was breezy. And it was breezy as well. And so. I felt like I really, if I were to shoot this over again, I would have brought the same gear I would have used to shoot Oklahoma two years ago, where we brought like everything we owned so that it was, um, you know, zero degrees out. I, uh, I didn't get cold. I guess I had, I had pretty decent rain gear clothing and stayed, stayed fairly dry all day. And I, and it just didn't feel that cold to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were prepared enough. My uh, my plan failed with not having rain pants, and my pants got soaked, which cooled my my lowers off, and then it just kind of makes everything cool from there. Um, she had just had to run to the rest stop quick, but um, what about the, your favorite stage, or you know, the hardest? I want to say a three part question slash three answers. Your favorite stage, your least favorite stage, and the hardest stage. Oh. My favorite stage. I'd have to think about that one for a while. I, I like a lot of the stages. Let me think. Uh, hardest stage. I do think that the stage nineteen, the long distance squares. Yeah. Uh, that were up on tall T post and only the fifth square. So it was a. For those listening, it was a troop line, and. Uh, you started near to far five targets, two shots each. So. 
problem was the first target was totally skyline. And I think the shots just kind of go over the hill. I didn't see any shots splash at all when people no, uh, missed that target. So it, if you hit the target and saw where you hit, you got greatly rewarded. But if you missed on any of the first four targets and couldn't tell where it was, I mean, you just had about a 50% chance to hit the next one. You had to add wind or take wind off. And that was, and the targets weren't large. That was a very, very difficult stage. It went out to some of the longest distances that we shot at as well. So if you had any elevation errors, you just, you just weren't going to be able to correct for that with no backstop. Exactly. I think, I think that was potentially the hardest stage. Um, that's debatable. Some of the 12 round, uh, fast positional stages with small targets were also very difficult. I'm going to say my favorite stage was the very first stage we shot. Uh, the, the TYL rack. Oh, so top to and bottom? Run. Yes, I loved that stage. Um, you had to run up the stairs, go prone, and shoot five shots at a TYL rack, hit or miss, you moved on to the next smaller target. Then you ran down the stairs and had to take a position. You could not use a rear tripod, and you had to take, basically everybody took a kneeling position on a window ledge and shoot five shots again at the same rack. And the smallest target was four inches at 515 yards. Mm-hmm. So that I I don't I really really like shooting at very tiny targets from positional. Whenever I'm challenging myself in practice, I that's what I do. I shoot at a four inch target at 400 yards or a six inch target at 600 yards, and take my time. I take that extra two or three seconds to aim, make sure I'm taking the perfect shot. And it's just super rewarding when you connect on a tiny target from a positional spot absolutely i love love that stage yep there were a lot of cleans in our squad on that stage yeah it was we we were all shooting pretty well to start off in those conditions was pretty impressive as well and to have you know a hat we're talking half a mil um at k&m is a lot and it's a lot when you're talking 500 yards that almost has never occurred in my experience at k&m to shoot half a mil plus holds at 500 on a like sheltered line like this line only has about 200 yards of exposure to the wind so we got half a mil of deflection for the first 200 yards of flight and then it just continued effectively um that's what was causing it so if that would have been open if we were in oklahoma on that same my guess is we would have been closer to a mil or more um, if it was full yeah. deflection with no trees on the left side the whole way out and it was really cool yep. because everybody first wind call like you immediately watch people starting to have to make adjustments and refine them continuously from to prone and then run through the rain keeping your optic dry going to a positional shot low and now fighting rain wind and hoping that you can still see just as much as you thought you needed to make perfect corrections on an even smaller target and to have i think the lowest score we had was a six or like one guy had a six and it was a bunch of nines and tens that was Yep. really impressive so mm-hmm. it set the it sets the bar really high when at any other match i would have rolled in like yeah we're gonna get nine or a ten but the average for the squad is gonna be seven <laughs> and, and then you're yeah. in squad one it's the average is a 9.7 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's yeah. and that's what i tell people that every year that's what's fun about shooting in squad one is you look at the stage you're like man this is a tough stage you're at the finale and then most of the people in squad one will get a clean score on it. Yeah. And that's on every stage. 
Yes, it is. Same oh. with the AG Cup, which is coming up. Um, so you had your fa- you had your favorite stage, which is that one. Um, you had your least favorite stage, uh, which are the hardest stage, I should say. Were there any stages that you didn't like? Not not because they were like it's bad for that, or just it didn't suit your style of shooting or something like that. Um, I'm going to say my least favorite was the rock pile on stage eight right before we finished the match where oh. we shot the mover and then the reset target. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure how to describe why that's my least favorite. I think one, one reason would be I really, really hate the low position that's like in between prone and kneeling. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I struggle with that position more than any other position. Did you hear uh, that, match directors never... out there? Just put more of those in there whenever Austin shows up, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody, so if you're listening, it's at the height where you have to kind of decide to go down on two knees yeah. or try to go into a kneeling position and shrink your whole body down, <laughs> like, Get into Charlie Horse territory spread. for muscle yeah. spasms. Yes, exactly. It's that 12 inches off, so, one foot off the ground territory. Yeah. 9 to 12, so, 13 inches. Yeah. So then once you get into that position, it's not easy. It's it, it can be pretty stable, especially when you're on a rock like that, if you kind of do free recoil a little bit or don't put much shoulder into it. But it's not easy to transition in a wide angle of fire uh, no, to the no. next target because you kind of you've already had a hard time getting your body into that position and now you got to move your whole body over and there was two of those rocks mm-hmm. to start with and to end the stage you had to shoot at that position and angle and that was I, I don't know that that was my least favorite stage for that reason I don't not that it's a bad stage it's a very fair stage very difficult uh, a well uh, well-designed stage. I, it's just my least favorite one to yeah. shoot. The, the targets were cool. It was a 300-yard mover for the first engagement, and then you'd pan about 90 degrees and, and shoot 560 yeah, yards. Yeah, like 40. 40 degrees. Yeah, 45. 90 whatever. would have been down to people. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a large pan for a very small surface area that you had to place your rifle on, so you had to be pretty pretty uh, precise where you put your bag, and then, like you said, it, it provided difficulties of how do you pan and still have a good solid position instead of panning and being in an uncomfortable body state to where you were, you know, stressed and forcing the rifle. Yeah. We were doing our recap last night and one of the first, I'm like, did you see anything that I did that looked really awkward? I was asking this to Chad and he's like, you know, the only thing I really saw was on that rock stage before we quit. Like you did a bunch of weird stuff that just looked awkward. I'm like, yeah, it felt uncomfortable. It felt awkward. And lo and behold, like, the last position where I feel like I I didn't rush the shot, but I didn't resettle. Like, you know when you pan, I, I don't know if in your case you would have been the far left. You went from the mover left over to the other. You can impart some torque to your bag. In that position, I just didn't reset the bag and the rifle into the bag for the last shot, and I it, it visibly recoiled and went back to the you know mover, back to the right where I had just come from, and I missed to the right. And I'm like, well... Yeah, and the whole thing did feel kind of awkward up until the, the middle two, three positions were fine, but it was just it was a weird one. It's wasn't it's something I wish I could practice more at the ranges that I'm at, where we have big pans. But it is kind of a hard skill to practice without a really wide open field. And, and you guys get a lot easier to do that out west where yeah. you're at. But cool. Um, what about so? 
takeaways from this match? I mean, you've had an awesome season. You won the world championship. You've won the golden bullet. Now we're about to set our sights onto the third largest and arguably the more difficult match in a different way, the AG Cup. Right? Right. Do you have any takeaways from last year that you you feel like you, you that surprised you with the AG Cup or that you need to work on before the next AG Cup, or are you just pretty much going in um, hot from the finale? I think shooting – so I, I this is only the third time I've ever been to K&M, this finale, and the previous times were last year's AG Cup and the 2019 finale. And so I don't get to K&M a lot. I think – so what I'm getting at is the best practice I could have had for the upcoming AG Cup is uh, just happened. Uh, the finale was the best practice I could have had because um, I got to see the props at K&M again. I got to, you know, be fresh in my memory, uh, the type of stages that we have at K&M, the size of targets we shoot. Uh, to be honest, I'm going to probably put the rifle down for a few weeks and not not do a lot of shooting. Uh I guess one one reason I told some people this is uh, I guess the AG Cup has never never been my goal and my goal in the sport has been the golden bullet and so <laughs> right now I'm feeling a lack of motivation that's uh, fine too and you need to take a minute to recognize the gravity of what just happened and like <laughs> it is so incredibly difficult there's only 10 of those out there and that's uh, you'll always have that and you might as well take a couple weeks to let that sink in and enjoy that instead of just pushing on to the next one. I've actually already, so the barrel I just used at the finale has about 650 rounds on it right now. It's in prime condition. Uh, It's going to the AG Cup. I've already got, I think, almost all my ammo loaded for the AG Cup. Um, Just, I always load the same load. I never change my load or anything year after year after year. So don't have to worry about that. So speaking so, yeah, of, I'll probably oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, speaking of ammo loading, are you one of those like that prefers to load way in advance because you think it's better, or just because you load when you have a time, or or what's your philosophy on that? Because there's definitely a lot of people out there like, oh, fresh is best, but I just think it's because they wait till the last minute to do it, and they're just like bragging. Uh, uh yeah, I, I don't think that it makes a a difference in precision. Um. And since I use, since I never tweak my load, and I don't really stress over that, and I think that uh, a lot of the things that people worry about in load development don't really matter. I just load when I get the time. If I have a an evening with no plans, I'll sit there. Actually, my two little boys sit there a lot of times and help me reload. It's fun. I'll actually a lot of times I'll listen to some of y'all's podcasts while I reload, or listen to Morgan, or just you know chill out. It's kind of a it's it's kind of a time for me to not have to think I sit there and reload and use it as a de-stressor. And so whenever my ammo gets loaded, it's just whenever I have that time and, mm-hmm. and I usually do it, I usually do it way ahead of time. So it sounds like you don't stress out about it at, at all. Like some people could or do. Um, and we haven't talked about what gear you really run. Um, pe- people really know just from seeing you and seeing photos of you, but I can't remember what bullet you run. Uh, was I run a 105 Burger hybrid, oh. almost 
Yeah, that's Almost my favorite part. I don't know why. I, 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 I honestly didn't know that. I, I, I didn't either. I'm surprised. But I'm, now I'm, I'm not surprised because of the conversation we had last night. Yeah, we're good. Oh. Um, so then oh, your 105 funny. burger, you're running Dasher, oh. right? I, I have to admit, I do switch to 109 burger hybrids every once in a while. Just, the, I don't know, a lot of times if I'm going to a windy match in Oklahoma, I don't really believe that the extra BC is going to make that much difference in a wind hold, but it just makes me feel better, so I'll just load the 109 <laughs> instead of the 105. And I don't even change, I don't change my seating die. I don't change, the you, powder a lot of times I, I don't even, I don't touch anything. I just open a different box of bullets and load. <laughs> I mean, I think this is such a refreshing and like... You, this goes unsaid so many so many times. You look across every single forum and all of the different reloading. How do I reload? What do I need to do to tweak my load? I got to chase this and chase that. And we've been saying, you know, we stay the same. We are constantly just loading the same thing, or we, we don't do anything other than go. Ah, oh, we feel like we're a little fast for what this barrel should be. Just back off a half a grain and leave it alone. Um, but we don't chase it for any other way. And here you are going. Yep. I just use the same charge and just use a different bullet and nothing changes and it just keeps doing what it's supposed to do. And I'm like, this is exactly what we're saying, right? You yes. can win world championships, golden bullets with consistency and knowing your equipment cold. Yeah. And so you use the 105s. What barrel um, manufacturer are you using? I've used uh, mostly Bartline barrels over the years. I have used proof barrels uh just for availability reasons sometimes mm-hmm. and um, so and you never know what you're going to find me using but so most this is a bart line be a bart. yes this okay. is a bart line cool all right so 105s and bart line can get the job done i guess yes <laughs> he's just looking at me just we've been he's like we got so, a golden bullet we yeah. got an ag cup champion sitting in the other seat what are you waiting for francis <laughs> He keeps pushing me to go back to the 105s. Yeah. We'll they see. Both, well, they're both hammer, obviously. I think I, I joke most of the time about this, um, but I do believe that it is the best bullet on the planet. But I think what you're saying and what we both say all the time is that it's less about the reloading and squeezing every little bit of precision out of your system as it is keeping your head in the game, making a perfect trigger pad press, and staying calm and watching and doing stuff about the feedback, feedback you see downrange. And yep. this is as simple as it gets. And people are like, well, how do you do this? And I said, it's it's honestly pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, we just told you. So whatever is distracting you from doing those three things or four things, um, then do it. Yeah, and if you're then awesome, get rid of it, what's, your ca- what's your phrase? I'm gonna Just keep doing it. What do you mean? No, Austin has his oh, phrase, oh. his catchphrase. I'm going to want Austin to say it. Cause, yeah, yeah, you oh. got to say it. Yeah, I mean. That was that was easy. That yeah, was exactly. Easy. So how do you do it? Like, how do you just do there? Win? I, I don't know, man. It's just easy. I mean, <laughs> it's easy when you, the fewer things you change, you learn your weapon, your rifle, your system intrinsically, and it makes it, it makes it easier for you to see patterns and what's actually happening. The more you're changing, the more you're chasing. And that's a really hard place to be. Yeah, I think, so I get messages quite often about, I probably get more messages of people asking me about reloading and, and load development than I do about uh, positional shooting or yeah. how to shoot a troop line. And if somebody's spending hours trying to load different powder charges and seating depths and then their, their shooting range is an hour away 
and they're having to make trip after trip. And I just, how many impacts is that going to buy a guy at a match versus spending that time refining your shooting skills? It's yeah, it's, it's not even in the same scale. It's not even, yeah. Several it's decimal, just, yeah, it's decimal <laughs> points. Orders of magnitude different in, yep. in a bad way. You're not gaining anything doing that. Yeah. I wish, you know what, between the three of us, it would be amazing if we can somehow start to shift this. I think this starts, and this is just my opinion, with newer shooters, when you first get into the sport, you're bombarded by, you know, the rifle mags of the world, the internet forums of the world, the web pages of the world saying reload this and seating depth and you know we're almost pre-tooled and spun up as we're learning the sport to think that hand loading means precision and that's how you gain better precision when gives you an edge and your bullet bc gives you an edge or whatever yeah, you know, or speed all, you can buy slash science your way necessarily into these really small tiny groups when in fact it's it's consistency it's learning your body it's learning your rifle and then once all of those things are in tune you might be able to tweak things here or there to gain, but for our sport, it is 90% between your ears and 10% or 9% the prep you do prior and 1%. Did you actually make the best ammo on the planet or was it just almost the best ammo on the planet? And either one, 100% or 99%, you're probably still going to win a match if you did the other 99% right. right. So it's a, a good lessons from from Bushman, from the world champion and the new 2022 Golden Bullet champion. Um, anybody want to give shout-outs to or takeaways? Oh, man, there's countless people I'd like to give shout-outs to. But I I don't know you know, where to end or where to start. I did see a post by Tate Streeter uh, today on Facebook. It was a, was a cool post, he said. Uh, impact actions have won the last six golden bullets, which I think is incredible. Um, and I, that could, you know, I don't know even what you guys use actually, but uh, that's awesome. Tate's an awesome guy, and I'm happy for him. The last uh, four bullets are in Oklahoma right now, so that's cool. So shout out to the Oklahoma shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy. It was close. <laughs> we can we can all admit it was close to not happening. Uh, yeah. Crazy. I mean, Jeff and Jeff could have shot one yeah, more shot. It, that's what I was getting at. Shout out to Jeff, Jeff Terry. Is, yeah, uh, huge, huge. Wow. <laughs> what a season. And and to me, he came out of nowhere. You Same. know, I mentioned uh, when I was on your podcast after the World Championship, I mentioned how there's, there's names that pop up as winners every year who I didn't even know who they were. And not that I know everybody out there or anything, but I do watch a lot of score sheets. And so at the beginning of the year, when Jeff Geary started popping up at the top of the score sheet, I, I was like, I don't know who Jeff Geary is. And he's in a different part of the country than where I live. But, man, what a season that, that Jeff had to get second in the PRS and win three matches like that. I don't know how long he's been shooting. I suspect a lot shorter time than me. And it took me five years to get a, a 300 in the PRS. And uh, just congratulations to him for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a nail biter, man. I mean, I feel like Jeff didn't, didn't have the best day one or the, at least what he wanted. And so he was, he was down there a little bit and he just really set it on fire on day two. And it came down to the last yeah. stage. And if he would have cleaned the stage, he would have won the bullet. 
and he would have won the match, I think, because of his time. Uh, him and Caruso would have tied, and Caruso yeah. didn't have 300 points. So I think Jeff Gary could have won it all um, with that one shot. I think, I think that oh, Gary no. may have dropped his shot on he the did. barricade. Yep, he, he would have got the know, seven. Caruso would have won. Yes. Uh, Jeff Gary would have tied him for the match win and won the Golden Bullet, and I would have gotten second in the series. Yeah. So For one shot. Or... You just could have hit that one shot that you didn't load in your magazine. Yeah, or I shanked one on the mover on the last stage too. Yeah. We were. We always probably, say that we could have, would have, should have, right? But anybody could have. Yeah, hit but all the he damn comes targets. off the line. He puts his rifle down, and I'm sitting there like, dude, congrats! And he's like, yeah, but did you see that shot? I'm like, I did. You put it upwind in front of a mover when you were going into the wind. So I'm like, you really got on top. He's like, yeah, I had an extra three tenths to play with. And he put it in front anyway. It's like two and a half mils. He popped the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just got excited. It I happens. just do that on movers sometimes. We've all done it, it. It's, I tell everybody, anybody can miss a shot at a mover. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I also tell people once you get movers figured out, they're almost like free points. The targets are usually double yes. the size of everything else. So it's almost unacceptable yes. to miss a mover, to be quite honest. I missed one as well. <laughs> missed only one. Though. Only an idiot could only miss one at a mover. Idiot. <laughs> yeah. So all in all, it was an awesome season. I mean, I know we had a blast, and um, I'm I'm just super stoked for you. Um, and you, 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 ha- you are obviously the best, one of the best shooters in the world. So I'm glad to know you. I feel like I was on your list last year, um, though, to be off the radar because first time I met you was at the pro finale last year so um yeah i feel like like you said there's a lot of people coming up and and there's definitely some at this finale that we will see in squad probably one and two next year yep um they're on their way up so i'm excited for that um we were talking before we called you about what shannon's doing down there with the target sizes and the course fire and it's like it's it's getting tougher and tougher and the shooters are rising to the occasion which is awesome for everything awesome for the the sport with well, that, go ahead. I was just gonna say thank you. Yeah, yeah. it's been awesome, and well, see you at the AG Cup. Yeah, we will. Hopefully, you're not too far away from home. We're still like five hours away from our rendezvous, so and then we'll split up. So we'll we'll record a couple more, but yeah, we'll try to get this one out um, ASAP. Yeah, likely gonna All be right. out Thursday. Yep. All right, buddy. Um, All right. Good to know you. Awesome season, and we will see you shortly. Congrats, man. All right. Hey, yep. wait, wait, hey, before you go, you need to end this the way only Austin Bushman can end this episode. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love talk it. to you later. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye.